Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. This is Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to my podcast before, you know I've talked to people from Maine to Hawaii, from Alaska to Florida, and all points in between, at all levels of government. And one of those levels of government could be where you work sometime in the near future if you decide to run for office. Uh, there are many. There are 500,000 elected positions in government, but it's not just the elected positions that get things done for public policy. There are also people who work for legislators, work on campaigns, um, work uh, in a variety of things, including in advocacy and lobbying. And lobbying is not an evil thing. It was there since the beginning of our Constitution was written. It's a very important part of our work, and it's also very important to advance things for our environment. If you've listened to my podcast, you know I've talked about how important climate change is to me personally. It should be important to everybody. Um, and my guest today from Penn Future, his name's Ezra Thrush, and he is working on advancing public policy goals on environmental issues here in Pennsylvania, hence the Penn Future name. And uh, we're going to talk about how he's able to be successful in today's real environment and political environment, maybe why you should get involved in those things, and what maybe you could do if you run for office at a local or state level, and maybe you could be successful. So Ezra, thanks for talking today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tony. Um, so before we get into it, I always ask people when they started getting involved to run for office, but when did have you always been involved in environmental causes? Is that something that was passionate to you, or you're just like, oh, that sounds like something I could do? Yeah. You know, I've been interested in environmental conservation work for a long time. You know, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, spending hours upon hours in the creeks and streams uh, in our mountains, uh, hiking, backpacking, fishing, camping, all of those things. Um, I grew up uh, going through Boy Scouts, uh, working at a scout camp. I'm, a, I'm an Eagle Scout, and, uh, and I wanted to make sure that our conservation of our natural resources was still, uh, was still thought about, and we cared about that. Uh, I'm also pretty political, and, I, and I'm really interested in public policy. So I, uh, you know, I took took those issues and went to school to study history and political science. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked in the nonprofit sector for a number of years before I went back to school to get my master's in public policy and administration. And, uh, but I wanted to focus specifically on conservation policy and environmental policy. And, uh, and so I started work shortly after grad school, uh, working, uh, for a number of, of environmental non-governmental organizations, uh, chief among those is, uh, has been Sierra Club at the very beginning, uh, working on issues like uh, moving uh, all of our SEPTA transit buses in Southeast PA uh, to zero emissions vehicles, uh, which has been a big push for a number of years now. Uh, we're making some progress, but not clearly where we need to go yet. You know, I've been working on forest retention and sustainable agriculture issues when I, when I was with Sierra Club. Uh, after Sierra Club, I did some work with... Uh, community action programs of Pennsylvania working on human resources uh, issues like uh, rapid rehousing, SNAP benefits, working on uh, homeless assistance, and working on some other issues around re-entry. And that was really rewarding and uh, beneficial, and I learned a lot there. Since then, I uh, started work with Penn Future about six, six or so years ago now. Uh, I started doing work on uh, advocacy around a campaign that was trying to increase Pennsylvania's involvement with the Chesapeake Bay watershed clean cleanup. Uh, since then, I've been doing lots more than just clean water work, including uh, clean energy, clean air. And we, uh, we're we starting to push some climate policy in Pennsylvania now, which is pretty exciting. So mm -hmm. uh, since then, I've become uh, our, our chief lobbyist at Penn Feature. 
Uh, I work in Harrisburg day in and day out during session days and even even more than just session days. And sometimes I'll even go to Washington to work with our congressional delegation from Pennsylvania to make sure we can move good legislation for climate and environment and uh, we can stop bad bad legislation as well. So I've been doing this for a little bit and uh, and I really enjoy it. Now, you and I care about the same issues, but you care about the details in a way that I don't. Not that I don't, but that I don't know them as well as you. That's why we're talking. Um now, you talk about conservation, which has always been really important in Pennsylvania and has tended to be, at least in the past, very pretty bipartisan. Uh, the politics of environmental issues has always been a little bit dicey, maybe more so now. But um, is there any way that you can extricate those things? Is, like Conservation is very tied into climate no matter what in terms of what policy you're trying to push, I assume. Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I'll give you an example. Uh, so conservation and climate are tied together, and I think under the broad umbrella of environmental work, uh, they're, they're both there. But conservation leads more towards land and water conservation and water quality and uh, preservation of land and, and uh, of habitat of animals. And that's something that I've been really interested in. Uh, conservation is seen as a more bipartisan issue, more bipartisan word. Uh, and it's not just a, a reframe of, of env environmentalism. And uh, we're successful with, with that push. Uh, we just passed the state budget in Pennsylvania, maybe a little, little under a month ago now, that now puts more than, uh, well, just about $800 million of conservation funding behind uh, new programs and projects. We have uh, $300 million, that's $320 million that's going to go to upgrading our water infrastructure in Pennsylvania. There's uh, $156 million new dollars that are going to go to uh, a new program called the State Parks and Outdoor Recreation Program. $56 million of those dollars are going to be used to build three brand new state parks in Pennsylvania, yeah. which we're really excited about. Uh, more announcements will be coming soon on that effort. And we also have uh, $220 million uh, in new money to set up something called the Clean Streams Fund. And this will set up the state's first agriculture cost share program, which will allow farmers to get some money from the state to do conservation practices on the ground to help abate any of the agriculture runoff that we might have for our streams, creeks, and rivers uh, and the water quality. There's more money for acid mine drainage cleanup. We have a bunch of abandoned mines in northeast and western Pennsylvania. And the cleanup has been just really costly. And unfortunately, a lot of those companies that we're operating are no longer around. So it's been a challenge to, to clean up all of those uh, abandoned uh, mine lands and acid mine drainage to go to our creeks and rivers up in those parts of Pennsylvania. And more money for, for tree buffers across the state, uh, working on stormwater issues. I know in Southeast PA, of course, stormwater continues to be a really big challenge, especially with lots of flooding mm -hmm. in the last several years. So uh, uh, we're really excited. Uh, this is new money that passed on a bipartisan effort, uh, really conservation-focused money. Uh, and uh, we're excited to start working on implementation of those monies and programs um, probably as soon as this fall. Yeah, I would. That's the reason I reach out to you is um, you know it, in Pennsylvania and maybe it's the same in other states, but uh, the budget has been so controversial over many years. Depend, you know, you would have uh, breaks where it takes weeks to get passed under different governors at different times of disagreements, and this time people, oddly enough, seem pretty happy with the overall product. I mean, it might not be everyone's dream budget, but People were happy. How did how are you successful at making conservation environmental goals um, at, at achieving those things in the budget when you know maybe not everyone it's their top priority in, in the legislature? Yeah, 
That's a good question. And, and, you know, some, some members are more interested in climate than conservation. And, uh, and so we try to talk about why these things are important for climate and mm-hmm. clean air and energy. Uh, but what we did that was really important was we built a diverse coalition of stakeholders. Uh, we brought together interests interest from the agriculture sector. We brought folks in who were hunter and angler groups. Mm-hmm. We brought in your traditional environmentalists and uh, land and water uh, tr- trusts and conservancies to all work together and pull in the same direction. We've been wanting to get some uh, increased funding for these issues for quite some time. This is an effort that goes back maybe 12 or so years. Uh, more recently, uh, this effort started, we just started to introduce legislation maybe four or five years ago. Uh, uh, but what really changed this time around was we actually had everybody in agreement, uh, a diverse coalition of stakeholders that had uh, constituencies based on either side of the aisle and, and pull on both sides of the aisle. And we were all speaking from the same song sheet, if you will, and uh, and we were able to build up co-sponsorships for both of our, our, our bills in the House and the Senate in tandem, and uh, and we did a lot of work together uh, through, through op-eds and LTEs and campaigns, uh, meetings with legislators, getting uh, constituents to write to their legislators to talk to them about why these issues are important mm-hmm. and what the uh, investment of this money can do for their for their towns and communities. That's not just environmental spending. Um, I, I think these are actually really important investments, right, uh, in our future. And uh, the more money that we could get out the door from the American Rescue Plan uh, into our towns and communities, the better it will be for everybody else. These are going to be local jobs. Uh, these are going to be, um, you know, we're going to have money coming to these local communities, be, being reinvested back into our communities. And uh, and these a lot of these folks are uh, getting money from local contractors. Local geographic economies will benefit a lot from this money being spent. Um, we're also eager to see some uh, conservation money coming soon from the federal government through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that President Biden signed last fall. That money will be coming to Pennsylvania as soon as September uh, uh, through Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, uh, Department of Transportation, and the Department of Environmental Protection. They're working on a couple different state implementation plans right now to uh, talk about how to spend that money in the Commonwealth. So we're really excited about it. Still a lot of work yet to be done, but I, I think we were really successful because we talked to as many different constituencies as we could. We brought together a lot of groups that don't usually work together of mm-hmm. uh, all political stripes and backgrounds. And uh, another thing that's important for Pennsylvania to be successful in the legislature is to tell the story about why this is important for the cities as well as why it's important for rural Pennsylvania. And uh, what does this do for suburban Pennsylvania, but why is it also good for um, parts of the state that uh, that don't have any uh, traditional environmental investments. But we talked about why, what this means for farms, what it means for parks, forests. Uh, we have a backlog of $1.5 billion for our state parks and forests infrastructure needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been a big challenge that we had to overcome. But uh, just telling the local stories and reaching out to every single region of the state has been really big. We worked with, closely with a lot of local township officials, city and county uh, council officials to write letters of support. And uh, and uh, so we, we've just... Uh, it's been a big effort. Probably the last two or so years, we've been taking legislative meetings, traveling throughout the state, and working with local municipal folks as well. So it's uh, it's been a pretty long effort, but I think that's why it paid off and why we were successful. Now, you you brought those coalitions together, and you had a lot of specific asks. You were talking about cleanups, parks, water treatment, etc. <clears throat> Is that something that you and your group at Penn Future say, 
you know what, these are things that we could implement. These are successes we could get. Or are they things where when you're talking to people, they say, these are our priorities. And you're like, yeah, we could do that. We could be behind that. Like, how do you determine what priorities to push for? Because you don't want to push for everything. You want to push for things Mm -hmm. that are worth your time and your energy as a lobbyist. Yeah. So we work with a number of, of, of coalitions in the state legislature. Uh, we were basically the policy lead for a number of those in which we come up with strategy. We come up with uh, what issues to push, when and how, what have you. Uh, so we're a part of the Growing Greener Coalition. Mm-hmm. The Growing Greener Coalition is a group of, of environmental groups, land trust groups, and other co- conservation groups that have been working for new monies to growing greener in the Environmental Stewardship Fund for many years. Uh, and once we saw that there was an opportunity to get some new funding from the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, we decided to put forward uh, a marker bill to 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 spend most of the money on environmental issues in parks and forests and water infrastructure. Um, but uh, so we, we've been thinking about this for quite some time, but we just thought that was a new funding mechanism that we could we could target. Uh, we're still going to need some kind of sustainable funding mechanism, some kind of recurring revenue down the road. Uh, but this is certainly a good first shot in the arm. Uh, similar to the Growing Greener Coalition, we lead a couple other uh, coalitions that work on watershed protection in the Chesapeake and in the Delaware watersheds, along with folks who work on water issues in Erie and Pittsburgh. Um, and we've and we've come up we, we've come up with these policy uh, priorities a number of years ago uh, because we saw what was possible, what was needed. And we've been working on them ever since. So um, probably for about five or six years, we've been working on these uh, specific policy priorities. Uh, good news is we've we've passed all the policy priorities we've been working on the last five or six years. And the bad news is I have to come up with some new policy priorities uh, for the next way forward. So well, that's a happy problem to have, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have a few things to work on here. Yeah. Uh, so because the environment and climate just seems so. Um, so big and too much of a problem for people following along on social media and the news. Um, you and I both care deeply about the effects of climate change. It seems so daunting. So it's hard to feel hopeful, right? Like it's like, well, no one even understands, not no one, but people don't tend to understand They're like, oh, well, it looks like it's going to be a hundred degrees every day from now on, which is obviously not true, but still things are consequential. Um, there's things like this, this year's successes, which are, um, piecemeal in some ways, but huge in other ways. Does that make you hopeful to be able to tackle those very big global issues? Yeah, I think so, uh, Tony. Um, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work to get this stuff done. It takes a lot of work to do anything in the legislature, mm-hmm. let alone Congress, as we're finding out. Uh, uh, we're also working on climate issues, both in Harrisburg and in D.C. And in Harrisburg, uh, we just passed the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative through the regulatory route uh, earlier this this spring, and uh, and then the governor the governor was able to to basically promulgate it through the Pennsylvania Bulletin with the PA Department of Environmental Protection. But what Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative does is it sets up a new carbon uh, cap and trade program, and uh, uh, basically the pollution, the carbon pollution that Pennsylvania emits will be put into an, an auction and there'll be trading of credits and allowances between uh, Pennsylvania and 10 other states. And uh, this auction would then would then generate proceeds that would come back to Pennsylvania. And uh, what all, all this would do is it would decrease Pennsylvania's carbon pollution, about 180 million tons of carbon uh, emissions each year, which is pretty significant. It'll save us a lot of money. It'll save us uh, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, 
quality of life impact that we're seeing some numbers from American Lung Association, how big that will be. Uh, we think this could create jobs as well. Um, the plan the plan is to uh, to reinvest a lot of the proceeds from this uh, regional greenhouse gas initiative cap and trade program back into Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. back into the communities, uh, the environmental justice communities who have faced a disparate burden of environmental degradation for so long that they can be reinvested in and help clean up those issues. Uh, there, there could be money spent, uh, proceeds spent to help out with uh, 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 carbon emissions reduction strategies. We still have uh, 30% of our carbon emissions in Pennsylvania comes from the transportation sector. We still have another 30% that comes from the building sector. So uh, it's not just uh, the power generation sector that, that leads in that in that realm. But we also want to reinvest some of that money from the proceeds in our energy uh, communities are communities that have long been the parts of Pennsylvania that have uh, have had the uh, the coal mines and the coal plants and the gas plants. Uh, but we want to move away from the dirty energy sources and try to reinvest in these people in workforce development uh, to move us forward and have a have a transition. So, um, you know, unfortunately, right now the regional greenhouse gas initiative uh, regulation that's been approved by uh, by regulation it's it's in the state uh, Commonwealth Court uh, and there's been uh, there's been an injunction put in place but the governor's administration is challenging that and it's likely to be appealed uh, to the state Supreme Court so more, more to come there mm-hmm. the, the story there is not finished being told the state Supreme Court is likely to take it up um, but uh, but another big win for climate I want to just mention uh, is is just the new announcement of the inflation reduction act of two 2022 that Senators Manchin and Schumer just announced late last week. Uh, they're going to spend $370 billion on climate and clean energy programs if this uh, budget resolution gets passed in the next uh, next week or so. Uh, we're, we're understanding that it's likely to be start being brought up maybe later this week or early next week on the Senate floor, and then the House will come back into session through their, from their summer recess and vote on it as well. But $370 billion for climate clean energy programs from the federal government uh, really goes a long way. It's historic. Uh, this package uh, is really 10 to 1 and good things to bad things. Um, uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, we're, we're hopeful for the level investment that Senator Manchin and the other members of the Senate are going to push forward here. We're also working closely on uh, moving forward this year's package of appropriations bills in Congress, and we were able to get uh, provision for Civilian Conservation Corps, or CCC, put into one of the appropriations bills. Mm-hmm. So uh, while while climate continues to be really challenging and working with the Pennsylvania State Legislature and the Federal Congress is, is always it seems a headache from time to time. It, uh, uh, we're hopeful that we're hopeful that some of these these things that are finally moving and we're finally getting agreement and we're doing big things um, that it'll, it'll pay dividends. Uh, I've I've never been known to give up on on things on hard fights on long challenges. Um, I see most of these as opportunities, and it's good to keep, just keep you know sticking to it and pushing pushing us ahead full speed. You know. And you just mentioned about the um, great things that we could get done at the federal level and uh, what Senator Manchin and Schumer proposed, which is very exciting, especially considering where we thought we were a few weeks ago. Um, right. And you also talked about working in the state legislature and going to local officials like myself. Do you see a difference in the way that people approach climate or approach conservation based on where they are in terms of their local government exposure. So when you're talking to a federal office and in the state and uh, locally, not just with DNR, but just in terms of 
you know, their visible impact of is your is your conversation different or their views different in terms of um, how they're viewing the issues of conservation in an environment? You know, I don't think I don't think there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. I know that the local folks are more interested in parks and trails, and uh, you we know, love our is, parks and trails, and we love our parks. Yeah, <laughs> does flooding or stormwater do for my right. township or my borough? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and and really, water quality is a bigger issue at the local and state levels for sure. Um, the federal issue, federal issues are much bigger in scope and uh, bigger challenges, bigger concerns. And I think you can actually get more stuff done at the state and local levels. I mm-hmm. think you can't. Uh, the federal level is a is a you know bit of a beast, and there's there's many different dances you have to do to get get something done. Um, but but uh, and, and and really the, the composition of, of the Congress right now and the White House right now makes it challenging to get something done. But uh, I you know I don't think the I don't think the issues are a whole lot different other than those those two things I had mentioned. But uh, just maybe the scope and how, how quickly you can get something done are the main differences. And I'll say uh, at the local level, I see a lot of townships and boroughs putting together their own climate action plans, mm-hmm. which is really encouraging. So county councils and township councils and borough councils can all do these things. And if you don't have an environmental advisory council set up in your, in your township or borough yet, that's another thing that local municipalities can do, which is really, really exciting. Um, so I, I would argue a lot of folks might be uh, watching Washington at all times on all these issues, but I would argue uh, most of the stuff that you see and where the rubber meets the, meets the road on, on these issues, uh, a lot of that stuff gets done at the, the local township and borough municipality level and uh, and then maybe some of the stuff also at the Harrisburg level um, we're hopeful that maybe in the near future we'll have a pro-environment majority in the legislature uh, we'll see what happens this fall uh, and we're hopeful that the next governor also takes seriously the threat of climate and uh, decides to really invest in conservation clean energy and making that a hallmark of, of, of their next administration so uh, we're eager to see what that looks like moving forward uh, we'll be working with everybody uh, in the new legislative term in Harrisburg, the next gubernatorial administration, make sure that that happens. Um, uh, but we're, we're hopeful. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up a couple things I wanted to ask about. One is something I think about when it comes to the environment, because I'm in Southeast PA and Sierra Club, you know, might endorse more Democrats in the past, other environmental groups. But I remember that it was, they would very often endorse a number of Republicans for open uh, space endeavors. Um, environmental groups in particular were trying to endorse people of both parties to show that environment and climate is not a partisan thing. And yet, like every other issue, whether it is guns or women's rights or anything else, just like, you know, what our favorite sports team are, it becomes all partisan. So you see that the people who are going to be, let's say, the more pro-environmental um, Republicans are often in the more purplish seats, like here in Montgomery County or Chester County, that, which means that they're in the more vulnerable seats due to partisanship. Like they're the more likely people to lose. And so be, the parties become more aligned and more cohesive on issues, which isn't always good. Is that a, Do you see that as a problem? Because in order for a pro-environment chairs to head committees, it might mean that pro-environment people of one party are the ones that lose out. And so you create, like, policies become more ossified, I guess, um, in terms of the partisanship of the parties. 
Is that going to make it somewhat harder to deal with in the in the long term in terms of the partisan breakdown of how we're viewing things? Yeah, Tony, I think that's a really astute point. And what I will say is, uh, you know, I think we need more people in Harrisburg and in Washington, regardless of their party, uh, to put environmental conservation and climate issues first, right? Um, and so if they're, if they're going to be doing that, if they have a track record of doing that, if they pledge to do that, you know, we want those folks in office. Um, now, I, I will give a caveat that I, I do not work at a C4 organization, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, uh, I don't work for a political uh, or electoral organization, though I do have, uh, you know, we, we have uh, friend groups in the environmental conservation movement who do, um, like Sierra Club, like uh, uh, Conservation Voters of Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I can't speak to their plans and what, what they're thinking about, but... Um, but certainly, I will say, a few years ago when I started working as a lobbyist in Pennsylvania, um, we had, I would say we'd have more quote-unquote moderate Republicans who thought about these issues a little bit more than where we find ourselves today, and that causes a lot of concern and challenge. Um, but I work with a lot of Democrats as well. Um, I'm happy to work with anybody uh, in either party who want to move forward these issues and be mindful, be of good faith. Um, uh, and, and make it happen. What we don't need is to have more and more people who are bought and sold by the extractive industry running uh, the environmental chair, uh, uh, committee in both the Senate and the House. And uh, we need leadership in Harrisburg that thinks about the environment and conservation more. Yeah, and that's always a frustrating thing to me because, well, one, we want the environment to be rather nonpartisan, right? Like maybe Democrat Tony Heil thinks that we should spend – $500 million on this, but Republican Sam Houston wants to spend less money, but still get it accomplished. And so we kind of agree, but it it's frustrating that everything becomes the way it becomes. Um, so you just navigate what you're able to try to, to do then. Um, and you want every, you want there to be pro environment people, no matter their party, even if they're independent Republican or Democrat, right? That's exactly right. Now, yeah, we'll work with uh, third-party folk too. Whoever wants to, whoever wants to move forward, climate, clean energy, environmental issues. We're on there, I'm there to have that conversation. Yeah, and so I imagine the conversations become different. I was just talking to another person who's done some lobbying work and uh, political work from Oklahoma, uh, Blake Allen. He's been on my podcast, and he said that the, one of the issues with the environmental side and uh, climate issues are that there's a lot of people talking at a elite level or talking about it at a college level and the spokespeople for it need to be kind of the people you're talking about farmers, um, small town people. Uh, do you think that that's an issue with our environmental discussions nationally now is just not just, um, the problem itself, but the spokespeople for it? I think that's right. I mean, uh, when we talk about these issues, we shouldn't be just be uh, sitting in some ivory tower in Harrisburg or some ivory tower in Washington, D.C. We should be getting out to meet people where they are. We should talk about these issues from the perspective of a farmer in Pennsylvania, a dairy mm-hmm. farmer in Pennsylvania who uh, who's lost a lot of money because uh, the market conditions aren't very good right now and uh, price, price margins are pretty terrible. And yet you're asking them to put more conservation practices on their ground because of a watershed issue. Um, so you got to think about that from their perspective. I grew up in a farming community and, uh, and so I know that hand hands on and I, and I grew up in a different political persuasion. I find myself today and I still have connections to, to that world, uh, pretty intimately. And what I will say is 
we need to make sure the conversations that are being had are, are ones that are not uh, controversial. They're not uh, browbeating each other, you know, that you're really standing in the same shoes of, the, of these folks and not coming in from on high and telling them how things should be done. You should be coming alongside them and asking what needs to be done and how can we make this happen. And so I'm really uh, – a similar approach is something we, we've taken with trying to bring – this new cost share program for agriculture conservation practices to Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, that's, that's some of the same work we've done, but for too long, I think lobbyists and people in the policy world will stay in the metro areas or, or the capitals, but not go out to meet people where they are, the real folks doing mm-hmm. the work on the ground. I think that's really important and we need to listen to people and what, what they do. Um, and I think we do need to boil down the language for too long. I think we've used a lot of jargon and acronyms and uh, language that's exclusionary. I think we need to break it down and not talk about environmentalist issues because it's good for the planet or good for Mother Earth. We have to talk about because why it's good for the people, right? Why is it good for our black and brown populations who live in urban Philadelphia? Um, and uh, and why it's good for um you know, the people out there and not just good because of some uh, scientist tells us there's something bad happening or because some college educated white rich folks think it's an issue, right? Uh, we have to really break it down and meet people where they are to tell those stories. Yeah. So a heat wave in Europe or a flooding in India or even sea level rise in Florida, I mean, that those can, people can care, but it's not the same issue as, you know, whether or not you have enough rainwater in Tioga County. Right, right. That's exactly right. And so one other thing you brought up are are getting those stories. And I think that people forget what lobbyists do because you and I both have written or brought white papers to Harrisburg and D.C., things about facts, and there are offices that want them. But what are the effective ways to be a lobbyist? And obviously it's not just about having a rundown of numbers, right? Yeah. I mean, my favorite tactics are, you know, getting members of the legislature or Congress out to see projects that have already been spent with investment money from past conservation money in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to take, you know, I like to take members out to go trout fishing or take them out on a kayak or a rowboat or canoe or something. Uh, or, or even if you're in Philadelphia, take them out to Bartram's garden or a trail in the Philadelphia region and, and talk about uh, the issues at hand, what, what monies have been spent already on uh, past projects, what else could be done in the near future if we invest some more money, uh, but do project tours, uh, project tours with members of the General Assembly and the, the Congress is really big. And, uh, and of course, always getting uh, constituents involved with the advocacy is really important. Um, you know, offices and legislators in Harrisburg and Washington like to meet with me, but you know who they prefer to meet with? They they prefer to meet with their own constituents and real <laughs> real people, not just folks who who get paid to think about this all the time, right? Uh, so we we organize trips for folks to go meet with their members of Congress in D.C., uh, members of uh, legislature in Harrisburg. Um, we also do in district meetings where we'll sit down with members of the legislature all across Pennsylvania in their their home districts and uh, their home constituents. We'll meet with them to talk about what the pressing issues are of the mm-hmm. day in terms of conservation and environment back in Harrisburg. And then as a group, uh, somebody from our team and maybe three, four, five, six constituents who live in that legislator's district will go and sit down and talk with them about the issues. And that shows the members that these are really important issues, not just to an environmental and advocacy group, 
But these are real issues for their real constituents back home who vote for them and who live in their own towns and communities. So those are my favorite things and probably the most effective tools I think that we have out there, aside from all the other the gamut of things we have through legal advocacy, litigation, um, communication strategies like op-eds, LTEs, ads, you know, those kinds of things. But I think getting members out to see project sites and then getting constituents in front of the members of the legislature and Congress, those are really the biggest two, I think. And the nice thing about being an environmental lobbyist and trying to do that is you can find someone impacted by environmental laws or climate change or water conservation in every single district. It's not like gun violence in Philadelphia is important, but you're not going to get someone from Columbia County or Lebanon County that cares about that and it's affected by, right? So, or if they are, they're thinking about it in a different way. So, um, I think you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but people think that if you're in Congress or if you're a state legislator, you perk up when you hear that there is a lobbyist there, but you're more likely to perk up if you find out that someone who is from your district, especially if it's further away from that capital, has made the trip to visit you. Right. Yeah, I've seen meetings go really well, especially if you know they hear that one of their members is there, especially if it's, let's say it's for a district office that's maybe six hours away from the state mm-hmm. capital. Like, that's pretty meaningful. Uh, even from Philly or, Philly or Pittsburgh when they come to town, that's pretty significant. Right. Uh, Harrisburg's not the easiest place to get to, especially if you're from the northern tier of the, of the state or uh, out in the Pittsburgh area. Philly, it's difficult too, but it's maybe a little bit less so. Uh, but I'm thinking about the people who, who have accessibility and transportation issues, right? Uh, that's more difficult to get in front of your state legislature, especially if you're not just meeting in your home district office. If you're going to the state capitol, it's, it's a bit more of a of a challenge. So when you see people do that, it's, it's really significant. It's really meaningful. Uh, and then Washington, the same way, uh, you know, I've invited folks to go to Washington with me a few times, but they said it's difficult to get there because of, uh, costs and travel and, uh, Pennsylvania is a big state. And then just traveling from Pennsylvania to, to DC is a challenge for some folks. Um, and we try to help out with those folks, um, uh, when we can, but, uh, it, it is meaningful whenever people really do show up in person, uh, who are constituents of certain members. Yeah, I saw people making fun of a Chuck Grassley tweet, and I we don't always share the same politics, but he uh, tweeted about a constituent that came and was complaining about gas prices, and they're like, "Oh, they they drove there and they complained about gas." Like, you're not gonna you're not gonna criticize a senator for meeting with a constituent about basically anything, unless it's something like we want to bomb, you know, um, New York City off the map or something, right? Like, that's what they're supposed to do. I would argue they're doing their job if they're meeting and representing their folks. Right. Uh, So lastly, the the podcast is called You Should Run. And just on a nonpartisan level, though often I get partisan, um, if why would you encourage people to run for any level of office, maybe particularly local uh, or state legislature, um, to impact uh, environmental and climate issues? Yeah, we need more people to run. Uh, We're strong believers that we need a strong and vibrant uh, democracy and uh, strong and and vibrant civic engagement in our citizenry and folks who live in Pennsylvania in order to have good conservation and environmental values. Uh, So it's important for people to run and make it happen. Um, I want to just, while we're at the same same, uh, conversation, I wanted to just uh, share that just today, just this afternoon, actually, we launched this new report and I can get you the link, Tony, but it's called a a shared vision for Pennsylvania's environment and communities. And it's a common policy agenda of over 30 different environmental and justice advocacy organizations 
across Pennsylvania who came together over the last several months to say, these are the top policy priorities that we want for the next gubernatorial administration and for anybody who's running for the state legislature in 2022 to think about for the next legislative term. So I'll make sure you get a copy of uh, the digital copy of this of this uh, report. But it's really important that we that we put out what we expect of our legislators, what we expect of our um, gubernatorial candidates, uh, and we hold them to account. Uh, so I'll get you a link to this to this document. But um, running for office is super important. Um, we have something we call the ladder of engagement in our in our civic engagement in our field programs, and we. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll meet with volunteers to discuss what their, their opportunities are, what, what, their, what their interests are with our organization. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll do meetings with them. We'll, do, we'll take them to meet with their legislator. We'll ask them to write op-eds and LTEs. But um, on the top of that ladder of engagement is after you have a really well-trained conservation or environmental advocate is maybe asking them to run for office because we do need more people who believe in climate and clean energy and environment and climate uh, conservation in in Harrisburg in the General Assembly and in Washington. So we think that's really important. Over the last couple of years, we've launched a brand new civic engagement program at Penn Future Two. We have uh, we've been doing year round voter registration programs, and we're going to be ramping up our civic engagement program uh, this fall as well. So we're really excited about that, and I'll make sure to share that with you as well. Great. Or just skip all those steps and make running for office your first step. That's what I would say. So especially if you don't have anyone yeah. running in your local area. Um, for sure. So I really appreciate what you're doing and the details you're putting into getting success here in PA because it helps people like myself to look after my community as a council member. And it helps everyone, no matter their party, no matter what part of Pennsylvania they live in or what part of the country they live in. We're all connected. Um, but let's talk about how people can connect with you. What are the ways, very quickly, that they can follow you or Penn Future on social media and online so they can learn more and maybe get involved? Yeah. Our website is www.penfuture.org, uh, and we, you can sign up for our email list. Um, we have a pretty active email list. Uh, we keep people in the know of what's going on in Harrisburg and Washington in terms of environmental policy. We also have a Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter. It's at Penn Future. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter too. I'm at Ezra Thrush, uh, E-Z-R-A-T-H-R-U-S-H. I'm the lobbyist again for Penn Future. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll oftentimes share what's going on in the Capitol building, especially during session. Um, but do get in touch with us, uh, sign up for our, our programs, sign for our email lists. Um, sometimes when really bad legislation moves, we'll send out action alerts and ask for members and supporters to advocate uh, on behalf of, uh, of these issues for their legislators. Uh, we'll do the same thing if something good is moving, which, which happens from time to time in Harrisburg and Washington, and try to get folks to advocate on behalf of the issues with their legislators. Uh, so uh, do sign up. Uh, again, our website is www.penfeature.org. Great. I encourage everyone to follow Penn Future, follow Ezra. I've learned a lot both from this conversation and from following them. Uh, the environment and climate seem like monumental problems, and they are, but we all can do our parts, and may, they're much more significant parts if we all do them together. So thank you, Ezra. I hope you had a good talk today. And if you're listening, I hope that you will consider maybe running for office too. Thanks, Tony. Have a good one.